Before we get to the conversation with Senator Scott Wilk, I just wanted to give everyone the quick heads up that this was actually recorded right before Christmas. Obviously, a lot's transpired since then, as we all know. Um, so I, I just didn't want you to think uh, that we were purposely ignoring or whitewashing any of that. So just keep that in mind that we recorded this before the attack on the Capitol and all that's transpired since. It's actually a great interview, and Senator Wilk is a really good guy, which I hope you'll be able to glean from my talk with him. Some of what we discussed has a hint of prescience. Uh, maybe you'll pick up on that, but um, mostly we talked about our beautiful state of California. Scott growing up right here in the district he serves, uh, some of the ways he's found to be able to work with folks from across the aisle. Uh, what a concept. And um, we learn a little bit about how it all works at the state level. Anyway, I figured I'd just take a quick second and give you the heads up about when this was recorded so you can put it in the right context. Um, so with that in mind, without further ado, please enjoy my talk with Senator Scott Wilk. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are talking politics and religion without killing each other. I am your host going solo today. Ronnie's on the bench for uh, misbehaving. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He's uh, he's taking the day off, a well-deserved day off, and we're co-produced by my pal Tristan Drew. And by the way, if you like the show, please leave us a review, um, hopefully five stars with some comments on iTunes or where, wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help us in the rankings and follow us on all the interwebs and stuff. And I'm not going to waste any more time because uh, I just really appreciate this gentleman coming in. Uh, today, we're honored to have Senator Scott Wilk, Republican, who represents the 21st Senate District of California, which happens to be my district and encompasses a wide expanse of territory, including Santa Clarita Valley, where I live, which is at the very northern tip of L.A. County, up through the Antelope Valley and all the way to Victor Valley. So basically, all the way to Vegas. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, not uh, quite. Yeah, Lucerne <laughs> Valley is the... the cutoff point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Senator Scott Wilk is definitely a California guy through and through. Grew up right here in this, uh, in his home district up in Antelope Valley. Is that, isn't that right? Yeah. Born and raised. Yeah. How about that? How about that? What was it like growing up in Antelope Valley? Well, a lot, a lot different uh, than it is now. Cause you know, it was obviously very podunk. I think Palmdale was about 10,000. Uh, Lancaster, about 24,000 people. Wow. And and when I was in high school, we'd go on Friday or Saturday night down to Westwood because it would take us under 50 minutes to get from Lancaster to oh, Westwood. Man. Yeah, it's going to take you a little longer nowadays, right? A little longer now. Yeah. But back then, you know, we'd go to Westwood, you know, every weekend. Um, wow. Can't do, well, you can still do that, but it's not going to take you under 50 minutes. Yeah, you got to plan the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, thanks for coming in. I really appreciate it. How's, uh, first of all, how's you and your family doing? You know, like everybody else locked down, you know, uh, my wife, uh, Vanessa, has got an autoimmune disease. Oh. And my 94-year-old uh, mother-in-law lives with us. So being being very careful. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, with my job, I, I still need to meet with people and do all that. And I've been tested, I think, six times now for COVID. Wow. Uh, just because of potential exposures. But I've been very fortunate. That's great. That's great. Well, it's good to hear everybody's everybody's doing okay. Uh, muddling our way through, as they say. Yeah. So, um, did you ever have a desire? Uh, you're born and raised in the Antelope Valley, live in Santa Clarita. Now, did you ever have a desire to go anywhere else? Um, I like, I like to travel. Um, yeah. and I've, I've been, I've been to a lot of, a lot of places. We, we have, um, so my wife's originally from Boston. Okay. And growing up, they had, they had a, they had a beach house, uh, in Cape Cod. So it's been my wife's uh, lifelong ambition is to get a beach house. And, and so a, a couple of years ago, because uh, I rented, I rent in Sacramento, I got an apartment and I'm like going, I said, Hey, I'm planning to run for reelection. That means we're going to be here another six years. Uh, we probably really ought to buy a condo instead of, you know, shelling out money every month for rent. And why don't you come up, you know, at the end of session and then we'll stay a few days and we'll, we'll just, you know, take a look. She goes, Oh yeah, great. Next thing I know, she puts an offer down on a house in, oh. in Falmouth from, from just looking at it, the internet. Anyway, oh, long man. story short, we ended up buying a, a, a place in, in, in Falmouth, um, which is in K, uh, the upper Cape. And so we, we're turning that into a beach. It's going to be a beach rental. 
So, but we we'll definitely use it. So, oh, but I, 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 but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm born and raised here. This is home. Yeah. So you'll get, Although your... I've had a lot of friends leave. I've had a lot of friends leave, which breaks my heart. Yeah. No, it seems like it's happened now more than ever. Uh, yeah. The, I was talking to our, our mutual friend, Dennis Werner about mm-hmm. which way the, uh, the moving trucks are going. <laughs> so. Well, that, that's, you know, that's, that's one of the things I do when I go out and speak is, you know, I call it the U-Haul test. Yeah. And I'll go on U-Haul and I'll, you know, rent a 20 foot truck, you know, one way each way. And it, it's just, it's outrageous. I mean, I think the last time I did it, going from Henderson, Nevada to Santa Clarita, uh, one way was $109. But renting it from Santa Clarita to Henderson was, I think it was $780. Oh, wow. That's, a, yeah, over seven to one. When when Nevada, which is a nuclear waste dump site, yeah, is more attractive the people than the most majestic place on the planet, there, there's a problem. Well, since you brought it up, why don't we just get right into it? Why do you think, what do you think some of those factors are? Why do you think that's happening? Well, I think, I mean, obviously, obviously high, t- high taxes, Yeah. you know, uh, number one sales tax, uh, number one income tax, number one corporate tax. Uh, I don't know if I said gas tax, but gas tax by a wide margin. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the, the you know, the over-regulation. Uh, I think the uh, the underfunding of higher ed and K twelve, along with necessary reforms that we need in in K twelve to to teach our kids, is you know you know not not happening. I had friends that moved from here to Austin, and then they got homesick, so they moved back, and then they were here six months, and they moved back again <laughs> because no, because no, because they got kids in school. They said the school. And we've got great for California. We got the best schools here in Santa Clarita Valley. Yeah. Um, and they're like, oh no, this does not even compare. And they have one. They have one special needs child. And they said the the special education in Texas is far superior to California. Yeah. Yeah. I was just in Austin about a month ago, a month and a half ago, and uh, I, I've been there a whole bunch of times. I get there on a regular basis, but it always just it's a little shocking when I get off the plane if I go for a burger or a beer or something, and. Uh, you know, I get like a $4 bill for a decent beer. I'm like, are, are you sure you charge me for, <laughs> you know, not a Coke or something, but <laughs> so it's amazing. Just everything from, we had some real estate there too, up in uh, Austin, as well as in Dallas. Um, you know, they have decent property taxes there, but yeah, they state, do state income tax. I mean, right. uh, there's no not state a- income tax. It's yeah. It's amazing. Some of the conditions that are there compared to here that just make it more conducive, frankly. You know, along those lines, um, on certain specific policies, uh, you have some nuanced points of view. I read an article, for example, on our whole mindset about uh, education, you know, having desks all in a row like the industrial, you know, like we were still in the pre-industrial age or, or prepping kids to be. But uh, so, so you do have some nuanced views. But from a fiscal standpoint, you're definitely a conservative uh, fiscally, what's that like being a fiscal conservative in a state where, and correct me if I'm wrong, is it fair to say this is pretty liberal? This is a pretty far left state, uh, fiscally speaking. Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. You know, they call it the weather dividend because they believe that, you know, you're going to pay whatever it costs, uh, to live here and they, and they really don't care. And you've seen what's going on now. Like, yeah, HP's leaving, you know, Elon Musk is leaving. So when the smartest people in the world are leaving, that should, t- that, that should tell you something. I mean, one of the most frustrating conversations I had, it was about six years ago now, I went with four other legislator, uh, legislators to Facebook. So we had, a, we had a tour of Facebook, and then we had a 45-minute one-on-one with Sheryl Sandberg, which I was excited about. Oh, yeah. And so one of the early questions, it was from Senator Gaines, who's no longer in the Senate. He's now our BOE member for Antelope Valley in, in um, Santa Clarita Valley. And he asked her, what's the biggest threat to Facebook? Without blinking an eye, she said the state legislature. Wow. And then she said, we're never going to leave California because it's one, it's part of our culture. And two, because of what we pay, I get the best and brightest from, you know, Berkeley and Stanford. But we have a second campus and, you know, guess where it is? Ding, 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 Austin, Texas. Austin, yeah. And she said, I'm never putting a, I'm never putting another employee in, in California until the, you know, till thing, things change in Sacramento. But here's the problem. So we're talking to her about all these issues. She agrees with Republicans, 
But then, you know, will you come up and testify? Because you could actually sway people. Oh, no, I'm running a company. I don't I don't have I don't have time to do that. Oh, man. But uh, but on the fiscal thing, yeah, it's just it's you know again it's it's, it's other people's money, and it and it's just totally out of control. So I had introduced something last year, and they bottled it up because of COVID. I'm going to reintroduce it, and it is a constitutional amendment to change the way we budget in California. Because with you with your business or your family finances, right? You look at two things: you look at income, and you look at expenses. Right. So on income, we need to fix our tax structure because it's very volatile. But that that's not in my bandwidth as a legislator. You know, that's that's going to have to be a, a, a governor initiative with all the stakeholders, you know, and, and they're doing it. But the way we we budget is it, it's it, the Sunlight Foundation, which is a nonpartisan nonprofit foundation that looks at the way states budget. They give California a D minus in transparency because I've been there eight years now and every year we've done the budget the same. So you have a, a budget bill, uh, you know, a, a, a bill in chief, and then you have what's called trailer bills, which is enabling legislation. So it'd be, you know, higher ed, prisons, K-12, yada, yada. Every year we've passed the bills out of one house to the other house with nothing in them. They're, they're blank. What, what does that mean? What do you mean there, by There's that? nothing in them. It's, it's just the code. It's oh. the code, but there's not, they're, they're blank. And then they go, they go to each. So the Senate will pass blank bills to the assembly. Assembly passes blank bills to the Senate. Oh, and then, then they start filling them in after they're already passed. Well, yeah. So well, here's how they fill them in. So then, so, you know, both, so both houses have budget, uh, you know, budget committees and they have sub budget committees for, you know, different parts. And uh, so, and a su- subcommittee you'll hold hearings. So yeah, you get to, you get to press uh, bureaucrats and all that. And uh, and you 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 take votes on issues, but then after the May revised numbers come out in May, and we kind of have an idea what we what we have in terms of income, then they'll have a full budget committee, and in the full budget committee, all the subcommittee chairs will will you know they issue a report and they verbalize it, and then you go up or down on, on the whole budget, and I've always been a no, and then it goes to conference committee. But the fact of the matter is the budget is negotiated in private between three people, the governor, the speaker pro tem, who's the head of the head of the Senate and the, the assembly speaker who's head of the assembly. They negotiate the whole thing in private. Then they populate, they populate all the bills and then, and then they, they push them out. So uh, we had proposition 54 a few years ago that requires that all these bills now have to be in print for 72 hours. It used to be only 24 hours. So my first year in the legislature back in 2013, uh, we normally have session on Mondays and Thursdays. We had a session on Friday, June 14th, because under the Constitution, if we don't pass it by the 15th, we don't get paid. So you're going to have by <laughs> June 15th. That's good so, motivation. <laughs> so, well, I'd rather have a good budget than an on-time budget. But um, so anyway, so we're debating the budget on on Flag Day, June 14th, and at our and all of our desks we have you know a, a laptop. So I go to pull up the bill. I remember it vividly. It was AB 110. So I go to pull up the bill. The computer says document not available. It was not downloaded into the system. No one read it. That year was $103 billion. No one read it. And so we pass it out. And then the trailer bills, we can pass out whenever, but they don't want you to read it. So the the speaker was John Perez at the time called for session on Saturday morning. I had already had scheduled a uh, um, town hall over at the at the sports activity center because I figured I'd be home because we were gonna pass. I knew we'd pass the budget right, and so I'm like, so I did my town hall on Skype from from the uh, from the rules committee because under the rules you have to be on the green carpet, uh, and so that's the floor, the the members lounge, or the rules committee. So I I skyped into my uh, into my town hall, and then every time so since a bill hit the 24 hour mark. Then they 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 call it for a vote. So then I'd run out and, and cast the vote, and then and then come back. So complete lack of transparency. So what my bill does changes from uh, we do a budget uh, every other year. So it'd be two year budgeting, which nineteen other states do. The other uh, and then the the other two provisions in it is that we'd have to take one every time we do a budget year, one quarter of that budget would have to go through. Would have to go through a uh, uh, performance-based budgeting, meaning bureaucrats would have to actually come in and justify the program. Because what happens in government 
we always look at the inputs yeah. and, then, and then we never look at the output, right? So like on the federal level, war on poverty, LBJ. Okay, war on poverty. We have spent since the inception of that $15 trillion. Our poverty rate is higher today than back then. So obviously we've, we've not accomplished that. So that's that. And the other one is we'd only do policy every other year which honestly, I think that's a good thing for Californians. I mean, when you're introducing bills to criminalize handing out plastic straws, I just think you have too much time on your hands. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, you know, I'm going to press that over the next four years and, you know, we'll see what happens. But we've, we've, we've got to fix the way we budget. So when, when you're in a state legislature, both the Senate and the Assembly is so dominated by one party and you're in the minority party, do you have any hope of getting any of your any of your bills, any of your legislation passed? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do, I do all the time, and I, I think it's because it's the way I, it's the way I approach the job. So, uh, I believe that I believe California's going on the wrong track, but I'm, I'm one vote. So, uh, I, I try to get to yes, and sometimes, yeah. and you know, of course, a lot of times I can't get to yes, and I just vote no. But what a lot of my colleagues do, and I don't fault them for doing it. Somebody needs to do it. But you know, they'll go on John and Ken on KFI. And they'll get their seven minutes of fame. And, you know, they, they poke their colleagues in the eye. And then all their bills get killed. Mm. Um, I, I don't do that. Uh, I will negotiate. I will vote for a bad bill if they take my amendment and make it less bad. If there's a bill where if it passes, you're going you're gonna to be out of business. Or if it passes with amendments, you don't like it. And it makes it harder for you to stay in business. But you stay in business. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote for that bill. So you're a pragmatist um, in that regard. So I, 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 I have to be, it's, it's super minority. You know, when I was, when I was growing up when, uh, in, cause I've been in politics a long time when I was growing up and we had much more balance in the state, you know, I was taught never amend a bad bill, right? Cause you had a chance to kill it. Well, you don't have a chance to kill it now. I mean, even really bad bills uh, people vote for, I just remember, you know, I'll be in committee and, you know, somebody's presenting a bill and it's a dumb bill. And, you know, my colleague next to me will be going, what a dumb bill. And then it comes up for a vote and then they vote for it. I go, you just said it was a dumb bill. Well, you know, he's my friend. We're in caucus together. And um, yeah, you get, you get intellectually flabby uh, when all this happens because, you know, everybody's like, you know, curring each other's back. Bills really don't get killed until they get into the other house because then people, you know, take a much more serious look at it. But yeah, out of the house of origin, very few things get killed. Well, let me back up for a second. Did you always know that you wanted to go into public service, politics in particular? Yeah, you know, was, yeah, I, I did actually. You know, I was uh, not too many 12 year, old, 12 year olds read the paper, but, you know, back then newspapers are more prevalent. In the Antelope Valley, we had two. We had the Antelope Valley Press in the morning and the Lancaster Gazette in the afternoon. So, I mean, I read the paper twice a day. Um, and then when I was 13, um, I made all stars for baseball, but we had family vacation scheduled at the same time. I wanted to stay and play ball and my parents are not going to let a 13 year old stay home for two weeks. So, um, most of our vacation was in Oregon, but we did a couple of days in Sacramento. So, you know, we did the, you know, John Sutter's Fort, you know, and all that stuff. And I remember touring the, um, you know, touring with my family, the Capitol with the docent. I remember sitting in the balcony of the Senate going, that's what I want to do. Oh, wow. Uh, which is really interesting because most kids, when I take kids like on the floor, I'll take them in both both ones. Most kids like the assembly better. It's green. We're with this very bright red and most kids. But yeah, I was like, yeah, I want to be a senator. Um, so, yeah, you know, and I got there at 57. So <laughs> it took took a bit. But uh, no, I mean, the first part of your career, you were in communications. Uh, is that correct? Yeah. But you were also. I saw in your biography that you were, you know, on the board for the COC and uh, yeah. the, the Chamber of Commerce and other, you know, public, um, you were engaged as a citizen. Right, right. So, so um, what prompted the decision to ultimate, because you were in the assembly first before right. the state Senate, what, uh, what was it that prompted you, your decision to finally run? Well, you know, uh, so, you know, we have, we have, a, you know, a term, lim a term limit law here in, in uh, California. And so, you know, Cameron Smythe got in, whom I supported, got, got elected in 2006. So I knew that that seat was going to be open in, in 2012. So I was, yeah, I was making, I was making plans to, to run, you know, to run for that. Now, what I didn't anticipate 
was that uh, Congressman Buck McKeon's wife would decide to run right um, as a as a late entry, which made it a you know pretty pretty interesting race. But um, but it, actually, it was kind of a blessing that she ran because it made me dig deeper uh, in terms of you know really drilling down into the community. Yeah. But you know what? If I had just been a political hack, I would have not gotten. I would have not, never gotten elected in 2012 because, you know, when, when she got in the race, like, you know, the, you know, the political class, you know, the political donors, they, they all, they all fled. Um, so I was able to raise money because, you know, my, my, uh, my, you know, my church friends, uh, all the people we met working with, uh, with uh, in youth activities for our kids, you know, was on the hospital foundation board, was on the COC board. I was involved in the chamber so back then, if you were to look at my donor list compared to like other elected officials donor list, it was very, very different. It was yeah. very different. And so if I had not been involved in the community, if my wife had not been involved, I would not have gotten elected in 2012. So it was a lot more, it was a lot more grassroots. Well, it was, it was grassroots, but even the money I raised, I was able to raise because of personal relationships being involved in the community. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. I can attest to that because I, you know, you and I have uh, gotten to know each other a little bit over the last couple of years, but um, I know that you're really plugged in. You know, you 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 uh, came by our, our business group that we have here in the Valley, the Santa Clarita Valley Business Group. And uh, yeah, you're you're really plugged in as well as with the chamber. We, we've uh, we've seen each other a few times. And so I, I really appreciate that. You know, when I first moved to this valley uh, over 20 years ago, it was I can't speak to. Antelope Valley and Victor Valley, um, but certainly this valley was definitely more red leaning. Um, yes. These days, it's it seems to be more purple leaning. Is that your? Uh, it's more of a purple district. Is that your experience? Yeah, I've not. So I've not. Uh, I've not pulled off the the statement. Of, I'm termed out, so I'm never have to. I'm never going to have to run again. So it's not been a priority. But at some point, I'm going to pull it out and, and 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 take a look at how the votes went. But I would say, uh, you know, purple. You know, definitely purple. Antelope Valley blue, and then um, Victor Valley reddish, but turn but turning into into purple. Well, we're in a national climate, and, and national seems to dominate all politics, even though local. You know, I, I was thinking about one of the bills that you've been or one of the issues that you've been really involved with over the last few years. The um, how do you pronounce it? CMEX? CEMEX? Mm -hmm. CEMEX. So it, your involvement with that, um, it, could you describe what that issue is uh, real quick? Yeah. So uh, CEMEX is um, it's it's a, a Mexican national company. They bought mining rights uh, off of the 14 freeway and, and by Soledad Canyon. If it were to move forward, it'd be the second largest aggregate mine in America. So if you've ever driven down the 605 and you see that giant hole that goes forever, yeah. uh, that is smaller than what this proposed mine is. Uh, their federal contracts with BML, uh, um, um, Bureau of Land Management. And so uh, currently it's in litigation because B, B, uh, BML pulled, pulled the contracts and we'll We'll see. We'll see what happens there. But yeah, that was that was slated to to go there. It was going to be a at its apex. It was going to be eleven hundred trucks a day on the fourteen freeway going in and out. Yep. So something like that would affect my daily life in a much more significant way than any tweet that Donald Trump ever put out. <laughs> you know, yep. like yep. between the dust and the how it would affect the where our local water sources, for example, yep. from the Santa Clara River, um, as well as the traffic on the fourteen and everywhere yep. else. It would really affect our lives, but but it seems that a lot of the discussion and our opinions are shaped more by, you know, which national cable channel we're watching. Um, how do you function in an environment that, even though you're in a purple district that used to be red in a predominantly blue state, how how do you thread that needle? Well, sometimes I feel like I don't thread it very well. Cause I, <laughs> I, well, because I because I consider myself I consider myself center right. Okay. And so so people I get you know attacked all the time for being a rhino. I get attacked for being a try. You know, in, in my in my in my campaign, 
Uh, I've never met Donald Trump, but you know, there's photos with me and Donald Trump, which obviously is photoshopped and, <laughs> and me and, and me with the mega hat on. And then every time they did a, uh, they had a picture of me in a suit, they would change the color to the, to the Donald Trump, you know, red tie. I don't even own a red tie. Yeah. Well, I own a, like a one striped red tie, but it's like, it's just, you know, it's just, you know, cause they wanted to nationalize it. Right. Because if it was on local issues, he, he, he wouldn't have been able to win. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's very, it's very polarized out there. It's not as fun as it used to be. And, you know, for me, I, I kind of changed the way I started consuming news back in 2012. So it was election night in 2012, November. I'm at Republican headquarters making calls, you know, trying to get out the vote. Obviously it's Republican headquarters. So Fox news is on. Yeah. And I was outside cause it was quieter making calls. And I look in and there's all these w- women crying. So I go in what's wrong, what's wrong. And they go, Oh, look, you know, Romney lost. And I'm going, you know, everybody in the world, with the exception of Fox News, said you know, Romney was going to yeah. lose. And then so that was I had that's when I had my epiphany. Like, we don't get straight news from anybody anymore. What these all these organizations are set up to turn a profit. So they feed into your confirmation bias, you know, to your implicit bias. And so you got to take so for a while there, I was like trying to watch, you know. Fox, CNN, and then MSNBC, which I could only take for very short bursts <laughs> of time. Um, and then, so, you know, so I basically, I, I do reading. I, I, I read. The only thing I do, I do watch Tucker Carlson because I think he's smart um, and he's not a homer. And But I always tape him. So if it's a segment I'm not interested in, I just, I just scroll. Just, yeah. And I will, I will take credit. Uh, my communications director has established a relation with a relationship with his executive director. So a lot of the anti-California stories you see are stuff that my office is, is fed his show. Oh, wow. Um, Cause he used to live in California and he's very upset with what's going on here and he's very interested in it. So yeah. we, when we see stuff that we think would be interesting to them, we, we give it to them. It seems like there's an incentive structure. It's a climate where the loudest voices from each party exert a great deal of pressure to consistently display, not just, opposition but just flat out hatred for the other party how do you how do you it's one thing to be taking um oncoming fire from from you know far left politicians it's another thing to be taking uh incoming from folks who should be voting for you how do you deal with that i i don't you know i don't i don't know it's it's really tough and uh, there's one particular person that lives here in Santa Cruz is like going after me all, all, and I don't even know what I did to offend her. I mean, all going after me all the time, going after one of my staffers. And what, what's funny is this, my staffer that she goes after this person plays every week, plays, uh, uh, racquetball with my staffer's husband. It's the weird, I mean, people do stuff on social media that they would just, they would just, they would not do in person. Yeah. In fact, when, when I was in the assembly, it was a lot of fun. So in the assembly, I don't do it now in the Senate because one, it's just way busier. And then two, the climate's gotten so bad, but I used to like block out about two hours every month. And then I would call people that would like email in and like attack me or whatever, because you'll do stuff on social media they would not do in you know in regular life and then i would i would call them up and it would be so much fun because they'd always be shocked yeah and it'd be nice and you know we you know we we talk it through and a lot of times they just wanted to be heard yeah yeah so i'm gonna say something nice about the 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 two most recent candidates who ran for our uh, house of representatives uh i'll say something nice about christy first uh, and I know you and Christy, you've had your differences at different points, but uh, you've also collaborated and I give you both a lot of credit for that. Um, she, uh, I, I voted against her at the state level and then I met her and I gained an appreciation for her, the way that she arrives at certain decisions. And at the very least, even if she arrives at conclusions on specific legislation that I still disagree with, I appreciate the fact that she, she heard my voice as a small business person. Uh, so that gave me um, that gave me confidence in her process and her efforts to um, to allow voices to be heard in a you know in a productive environment. Again, at the end of the day, she still um, ends up voting a certain way uh, that I might not agree with, but I give her credit for her process and for what I glean to be a genuine uh, integrity there um, and winsomeness uh, despite our our disagreements. Um, Mike uh, Garcia, who won the seat, our House of Representatives seat. Um, I, I don't know Mike yet. I'm hoping to get to know him, um, Representative Garcia, I should say. 
Um, he, um, uh, but my first impressions were always that the emails that I got included something that was disparaging about the left or the Democrats or something. And it, not the, I don't affiliate with that party. I'm an independent, but it always I have good friends, and I always almost felt defensive, like they're they're not that way, they're not that bad. But recently, I just saw that, and I don't I think he's trying to keep a very low profile about this, but he did not sign on to that amicus brief for the Texas lawsuit that I think it was 126. House representatives, uh, Republicans signed on to. Boy, that must have taken a lot of a lot of uh, conviction. Um, I don't know if he's taken on uh, incoming uh, critiques for that, but oh, he has. He oh has. man, that yeah. that there, I'm sure because I know there was a lot of pressure from up above in the party. Um, but uh, boy, that 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 takes guts. That 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 takes integrity. That takes studying the issue. And having a really rooted sense of integrity to go into oncoming, you know, uh, going uphill against the wind with that one, boy. So I give him a lot of credit for that one, and I look forward to getting to know know him better. Not not that I need to get to know him personally better, but uh, get to know his process better and and see what he's really all about. So, but do do you know? Um, Representative Garcia, and and uh, how's that relationship? No, you know, I got to be honest with you, uh, uh, barely. We're just okay. getting to know each other. You know, he he came to meet with me uh, when he was looking to run. He okay. wanted to see if I was going to run. And uh, to be honest with you, at that point, I I decided not to. I was I I always believe that Katie Hill was a fraud, oh. and a lot of the stuff that has come out uh, had been percolating around. Um, and, um, I was having discussions with my wife who was, un, was, did not want me to run for Congress. And then she was diagnosed with leukemia. And oh. then at that point, our life is stressful enough, you know, so it's like, <laughs> I'm not going to take on a congressional race. Uh, so by the time I met, cause I met with him like January, two years ago. And so that was the first time I met him and, you know, plugged away. And then, um, I stay, I stayed out of the primary. I'm, I'm, I'm friends with, I'm friends with Steve Knight and, and my wife's really good friends with, with Lily Knight, but to me, and I like Steve, but I, I just don't, there's not, not enough energy there for me. So I, I did not, and I think it's hurt my relationship with him, but mm. I did not, I just stayed out of it. Yeah. And then, and then once Mike won, I, I endorsed Mike and then I've been, I've been working with Mike and I, I've been impressed with how smart he is and, and how driven he is. And I, I think he's going to, I think he's going to be a great representative. Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to, uh, like I said, I look forward to getting to know what he's all about a little bit better and uh, hope that maybe I can convince him not to, not to give crap to the, to the opposition so much. <laughs> But uh, so I was going to ask you if, if you had ever thought about running at a either statewide level or the national level, like the House of Representatives. So you had thought about that, but dismissed. The well, 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 look, to be honest with you, I wanted to I wanted to run in 14 when McKeon stepped down. And uh, I was just in my first year in the assembly and my wife was adamant that I not. I go, why not? And she goes, well, I don't want you to view people like they view Tony Strickland who was at that time running for, you know, the yeah. congressional seat. And cause you know, Tony's run, Tony's run for everything, but a touchdown. I mean, that guy's <laughs> run for office, you know, so many times and I'm going, okay, so you're willing to turn over the seat to Tony Strickland just so people don't view me like they view Tony Strickland. And she said, yes. <laughs> and so that's, I guess, you know, different kind of thinking. So anyway, we finally negotiated out. So we, her and I sat down and there was five people that we thought that would, that could serve well and that could beat Tony Strickland. And I said, okay, I'm going to meet with all these people. And if none of them, if they all say no, can I run then? And she said, yes. So anyway, I'm, and I'm not, all the other people are private citizens, so I'm not going to name them. Obviously Steve Knight was one of them. So I had met with Steve Knight and he'd been him and in Holland. And so, you know, we had a meeting. It was right after a New Hall County water district meeting. And I said, look, I can't wait any longer. The guy's already sitting on $300,000. You know, somebody's got to get going. So I'm giving you to Sunday. And if I don't hear from you from Sunday, I'm, I'm, I'm in. Yeah. And so anyway, so Sunday comes and goes. Don't hear from him. So I'm having breakfast at the Hyatt with uh, Greg McWilliams with New Hall Land. He goes, what's the deal? He goes, I'm in. So him and I started, you know, putting together all these notes so I could start making calls to put together a finance committee and stuff. 
So do that, go to breakfast, and then go to my district office, phone ring to Steve Knight, I'm in. Oh, So great, yeah. great. Yeah. So then I have to call Mick Williams back, though, I guess I'm out. Um, and so anyway, but you know, to me, it's like the train, you know, the train never stops twice. So I always felt like that was kind of going to be my only opportunity. And then the whole Katie Hill, Katie Hill thing happened. But to me, it's, it's, I'm not, I'm not looking, I'm probably done, maybe an HOA when I'm old, but um, I, you know, not, no higher office. And okay. then coming back to, you know, Cam, you know, Cameron came back and did it, but that was a completely different situation. I think, you know, Cameron one way younger and two, he's like the glue on that council. He, to me, he's just done such a fabulous job and, you know, I've done a lot. So I, I have a lot of wealth and knowledge and people, if they got a question, they can pick up the phone and call me, but I don't see doing anything. Although the SCV water district kind of intrigues me since, you know, I created it through yeah. legislation. That'd be kind of weird. I don't know. I'm probably known. I'm, I think I'm done. I'm pretty yeah. confident I'm done. Well, so. you just got, you just got your seat again. So uh, you, you still got a full term here. So yeah. got time like to think years. about it, but uh, now um, talking about national level, I saw that you were pushing along with some of your colleagues from both sides of the aisle for key nutrition programs in the latest COVID relief package. Have you seen what's in there and whether some of those concerns were addressed? I've not, you know, they, you know, they, well, I think they're voting on it like later today. I've not, I've not seen anything on what, what's in it. And those okay. things are normally so massive. You got to go line by line. Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. also, it wasn't in that. I was also concerned about uh, senior nutrition. Um, I know, uh, you know, talking with Kevin McDonald over at the senior center, you know, he was concerned that to make sure that that was properly funded. I'm pretty confident uh, all those, you know, were going to be, but I don't know. I haven't read it yet. Now, I, before I, I, there's, I have a couple other questions, but I wanted to take a second for a quick uh, civics lesson. Um, how, how, give us a quick kind of overview of how the state works, what, what each body does, how they interact with each other. Sure. So basically, you know, uh, we're, you know, we're a democratic republic and we're a federalist system. So you have federal government, state government, local government. And Sacramento's base is just mirrors, really, uh, Washington, D.C. So federal government has a president. We have a governor. Uh, we have U.S. senators. That's two for every state. And then we have the House of Representatives, which is based upon population. So South Dakota has one. California has 53. So clearly we're within the state. So we're based upon population as well. So there's 40 senators. So we basically have about a million uh, people. I got 971,000. And then a state assembly member has about 500,000. And we, you know, the governor, the governor has, a, you know, he's the, he's the chief executive and, and administers the programs. And, and, you know, we're responsible for, you know, putting together a budget and, and, pass, and passing laws. And, and how well do we work together? I don't know. I don't think anybody works very well with Governor Newsom, to be honest with you. He's, he's not popular in either caucus, so... Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, we can, that, that, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> I know. Oh God, I know. Um, so, but, but there are, it does sound like there are uh, certain Democrats at the state level who've been more amenable to collaborating with you, with other Republicans, um, at least on centrist policies. Has that been your experience? Well, you know, uh, so, so, so governor, governor Brown really stressed uh, bipartisanship. And he was very engaged in, in the legislative process. So, you know, uh, I had I had a cell phone, uh, was in uh, had dinner with him once a year. I was in numerous small groups with him. Twice I had one on ones when he was looking for votes. Oh, wow. Uh, those are not fun. <laughs> those are not fun, particularly particularly. I don't know where he thought he could get my vote on cap and trade, but that was not that was not a fun meeting. Um, but, you know. And and so uh, Newsom has has no 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 interest in that. So if, if individual members do it, um, it's because they want to. I know uh, we just we just got committee assignments that came out, and a friend of mine on the other side of the aisle who was chair of a very good committee to be chair of was no longer chair of it, and I called him up. I said, "What's going on?" And one of the reasons why he's no longer chair is he was one of only two Democratic senators that did not uh, contribute to my opponent. Mm. So he is being punished oh, wow. for, not doing, for not doing what he was told. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, it's really too bad that it, that it works that way. Um, well, but- you know, but you've, but you've got, you got, you got to separate it. So you, you know, you got the political and then you've got the, you know, you've got the personal. So, right. I mean, I had plenty of, you know, senators who call me and say, I'm so, I'm so sorry, but I got to give. And I know they got to give. I know they got to give. I mean, my seat is a plus eight Democratic seat. It should be held by a Democrat. So when you say plus eight, that doesn't seem like that much, but it's, it's a 45,000 vote advantage. Yeah. So it's like running a hundred yard dash and your opponent gets to start on the 45 yard line and yeah. you're at the goal line. Right. So, you know, so they got to do what they got to do. And like, so when he had called me to say, Hey, I'm not going to give, I told him, you know, your $4,700 is not going to make a difference, difference whether I win or lose, just go ahead and give it. You yeah. go, no, I, I believe in bipartisanship. I believe you're a great Senator and I'm not going to do it. And so that's, you, in, you want to talk about that's integrity. Yeah, that's that's terrific. Well, yeah. that that is encouraging. I was hoping for some encouraging signs yeah, there. Yeah. Which uh, which committees did you end up getting on for for this next? Uh, well, you know, session? we're so we got so we're, we're a body of forty, and we're down to nine Republicans, and you have to have at least you know at least one on every committee. So I'm on I'm on seven committees. So so I'm vice chair of rules, which we're responsible for you know administering the house. And uh, rule, rules in the Senate's a big deal. We, we actually have to get, uh, when we get back in January, I'll have to be confirmed by, uh, by my colleagues. But so uh, we do all the HR issues. We're responsible for the budget. We're responsible for the security of the Capitol. We assign which bills go to which committees in terms of policy jurisdiction. So that's a busy committee. I'm vice chair again uh, of education. I'm vice chair of a governmental organization. And I'm not sure why it's called that because it's alcohol, Indian gaming, horse racing, card clubs, okay, and public and public records act. It's called this. It's called the Sin Committee. <laughs> I, I I like it because it I like it because it's not it's not it's not partisan. Yeah. Uh, then I'm also on uh, business and professions. So anybody who is licensed through the state has to go through that committee. So whether you're a hairdresser, doctor, dentist, new car dealer, goes through that committee. Um, and again, it's, it, that really is a nonpartisan committee as well. And it's, it's interesting because a lot of us, you deal with issues that you would never, ever even spend any time thinking about. So you get to play King Solomon every week. You do have <laughs> to tell people, you have to tell people no, which some people, you know, can't do that. Wait, they don't so like that. that. <laughs> yeah, they don't like that. I'm on, uh, I'm on, uh, this is new to me. I'm on energy and, uh, energy and utilities. So that's, you know, you know, petroleum, telecom, all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's going to be good. Let's see what else am I, how many is that? Is that five? What else am I on? Oh, I'm on budget. Uh, okay. I hate budget, but I'm back on budget. And well, we, need, year, we need one voice on there to. Uh... Yeah. Well, you, yeah, that's, all, that's all you get. And then, and then my subcommittee is, is a sub is sub five, which is, which is public safety. So it's corrections, which is about, you know, that's about 10% of the, the general fund. So in the past, I've been on budget uh, two other times and I was always on sub four, which was state administration, which actually made more sense because in terms of policy, it ties into business and professions. But anyway, I'm on sub five. And then, and then this year is going to be weird because of COVID. So it's. uh, Yeah. Well, last year was weird because of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I, and I think it's going to continue to, I think, you know, I, I was, Met with Dr. Galley, I don't know, probably eight weeks ago now, uh, because you know the new testing centers uh, opened in, in the district. So he was briefing me on that, and I said, "Okay, when when's this going to stop?" And he he doesn't think till till August of next year. Yeah, that seems realistic, just in terms yeah. of distributing the vaccines and yeah. starting to open things back up. So, um, you you mentioned before that when you were first starting to think about running, that uh, one of the first organizations that you were talking to were people from your church. Now you talked about it in terms of your involvement in the community. Um, how does, how does faith inform your positions and how should, what kind of role should faith play in our politics? You think? Yeah. You know, when I, when I saw that on, on, on the email you said, it was, it, it, it's interesting to me. So, uh, so one of the, one of my deals with my wife, you know, before I ran, it's, I had to do, I had to commit two things. I had to commit to go up on Monday mornings and not on Sundays 
Uh, I'd say about half the legislature comes up Sunday, the rest come up Monday, because we wanted to, to try to reserve Sundays for faith and family. And then two, go to, go to members Bible study, which is every Wednesday morning. What's really interesting about members of Bible study, it is definitely bipartisan. Um, there's, you know, people there from, from both parties. Now, what's interesting about it, though, it's like Fight Club. You are not allowed to say who goes to Bible study. Oh. Because there is, there is a price to be paid in the other caucus. I know, I, I know that to be the case. Uh, yeah. I shared a story the other day um, on another, another episode of this that uh, I'm, I'm hanging out with some, because I have the two companies. I have the, the local company here, uh, C-Spot Go, but I also have my entertainment-based company. And uh, so I'm hanging out with some of my entertainment friends at a poker game. And it was a Saturday night. It just came up. I had to, it was like already like 1230, one o'clock. Hey guys, I got to go. I got to go to church tomorrow morning. That's all, the, there was a gal sitting next to me. That's all she needed to hear. And it, I, I was just a proxy for Donald Trump himself, you know, for the worst, you know, the worst of the worst. And, you know, at what, when did you make that connection that because I'm going to church, I'm a, you know, all MAGA all the way. Like I, I didn't get that. So yeah, there is, there is this, um, not a permission structure, like an anti-permission structure. There's an aversion to folks who, you know, have b believe in God or are, you know, openly religious or, I don't yeah, know but, if that's a case across anybody. You know, I, I don't want to be unfair in, in generalizing that way. See that? See that? That's the thing that's so interesting to me. So, uh, so it, it, it is bipartisan. There's probably a few more Republicans than Dems, but there's definitely Dems that go. Uh, I believe that the pastor teaches it, uh, teaches what I believe is the Word of God, and and yet these people who I think are great people, they go and the way that they vote, I'm like, oh, well, how can you vote that way? And then they may, I've never asked, but they may say the same thing about me. Like, you know, how, you know, so I don't know. So I know for me, you'll, everybody comes in with their own worldview and their own experiences. And I, I think that has definitely uh, played a, a role in, in, in how I vote, but they may be, have a, a different worldview. I don't know. But so in terms of like the way I conduct myself, what I try to do is probably have a micro impact rather than a, a macro and that I, people know that I go because uh, yeah. I've signed various document stuff. So everybody who wants to know knows that I go. And I, because we have such um, reputations, I think unfairly, although some people are, you know, in terms of being judgmental, I really focus on just, you know, you know, being kind, you know, listening, you know, being, you know, being positive. Um, Cause you know, I've got colleagues up there that have told other colleagues they're going to hell, <laughs> you know, cause they're not, not, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not God, so I'm not going to do that. So I just, I try to present, you know, a side that I think does reflect my faith and, and what we've been taught. And, and I try to do it in a very non-judgmental way. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think if you start, for example, with the fruit of the spirit and try to embody the fruit of the spirit, that's a pretty good starting point. Yeah. Or, you know, so, some of the some of the kind of what I think of as like the virtue compass types of uh, passages, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, you know. Um, so that, it's interesting to hear you say that and it's encouraging as well. And by the way, I don't want to come across like I'm, I'm generalizing or mischaracterizing anybody who tends to vote more more democratic uh because there are plenty of people that i know who are very very faithful in fact a lot of my guests on the show uh, have um are, are very uh very faithful uh as christians but have come to other conclusions um you know tend to come to other conclusions in terms of how they vote on specific politicians and and uh, legislation Oh, exactly. Um, so, exactly. So, uh, my, my, so my kids, my kids, godfather, who was my best friend and my best childhood friend growing up, he just retired recently as a pastor. He twice voted for Jesse Jackson for president. Oh, is that right? <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, well, uh, I, don't, I don't, I don't post political stuff on my, on my personal, uh, my personal Facebook page. I just don't, you know, yeah. I, my wife's, you know, again, grew up in Boston. They're, they're all liberal. You know, I just, you know, you know, you know, family and friendships, you know, more important. So I, I just don't provoke on that. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, <laughs> I, we, 
Somebody asked us if we, if we uh, talk politics and religion at, at our, uh, you know, Thanksgiving table or dinner table when, you know, family comes over. And I said, if we can't talk about politics and religion, we it'd be a what very quiet dinner. About? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's all we talk about. So, but, and we're still, we haven't killed each other yet. So um, where do you see things going from here? Is there a possibility that people of goodwill from various perspectives along the whole spectrum can find common cause or at least the heat can come down a bit, or is it only going to get worse from here? I think it's probably, I think it's going to probably get worse before it gets better. You know, so in, in Washington, DC, I think social media and the 24, 24 seven cable news out, outlets really, you know, polarize the situation. And back there, back there, they're, you know, like the house is like almost like a paramilitary organization in terms of structure I know, you know, when Steve Knight was in and serving, we would we would discuss various issues and how he ought to vote. And then he tells me he's voting one way and then he would go back there and vote another way, which I think a lot in some of those votes, I think it was not good for him and or his district. And then we come back and I'm going, what are you doing? And he's like, yeah. going, you've never had to govern. You don't you know, you don't know the pressure. And, and, and I'm sure that's true. And I'm, I'm not I'm not faulting him for that. In, in California, we just got to have, we, ha- we have to get, get better balance. It will happen. Is, is it in my lifetime? Don't know. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see. I really, I kind of thought we were going to, I always had said that we were going to have a, a boomerang effect in 2022 because, you know, we've obviously had the, the, lar- the longest expansion in, in the history of California, economic expansion. So that eventually was going to slow up. Then two, we have a, we have this, uh, pension crisis and no one wants to talk about uh we uh, the california off books has 236 billion dollars in unfunded public employee pensions and state uh health retiree costs uh that is com- is coming to roost so so i always thought like 2022 and then I, in march in the in the primary uh like all these bond measures all throughout the state that you know they all lost and yeah and I saw how well Republicans did. And like, so on March 4th, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's going to happen this year. And then COVID hit. Yeah. And then it really, it just turned everything upside down. So like it, I did a benchmark poll, uh, which means, you know, a full-blown poll, you know, with like 450 people in January. And in that, and then that poll, Newsom was upside down 17 points. That's significant. His, appro- his approval rating was 30 disapproved 47 and this is a district that's plus eight yeah donald trump was 48 percent uh approved 48 percent disapproved love to meet the two percent who had no opinion right <laughs> anyway, right so, so then i mean obviously the whole world changed right so then that so you know we we had to do another benchmark in august and he uh newsom ended up being just down four points because I, I think at that point people a lot of people obviously i think felt he handled the you know covid well and then Donald Trump, he was upside down, but I think only like four points. But I haven't seen the final. I heard he lost my district by 12. I don't know. I haven't I haven't seen. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, well, this district's, I, I don't know what the top of the ticket was in this district. But to me, the whole election told me that the center holds, you know, yeah. that, that um, Donald Trump lost, but Republicans gained some seats in the House. Uh, they only lost one so far in the Senate. We'll see how Georgia turns out. To me, that tells me the center holds. And it, and specifically, the Democratic candidate who won the primary for president, he wasn't the far left candidate. He, Listen, he's in the Democratic Party, so but he's at the center of the Democratic Party. So seeing the folks at the uh, convention from Kasich and Colin Powell and Meg Whitman, uh, the gal, you know, from, from – right. HP and and uh, um, eBay and you know great business lady who ran for governor here, um, you know ha- having them speak a lot more than uh, AOC got her thirty seconds, but uh, I was encouraged by that. Well, you saw well a- AOC did not get her her seat on on I know. commerce and en- energy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's a big that's a big deal. It is a big deal because yeah. I, I have I have an aversion to you know the extremes whether it's AOC and Bernie uh, on, on in the democratic party or a left of the democratic party, but I have, uh, I arguably have an even greater aversion to those like right now who are s- still talking about steel, stop the steel or whatever it is. I, I just, um, I, I don't find that productive. I don't find that based in reality. 
Um, and, and it's only, they're the ones who are taking all the oxygen out of the room, it seems like. That's why we're doing this project. You know, we're, we're, we want to talk to folks from various perspectives, religious pers- uh, perspectives, political perspectives, and get to know people on an individual basis yeah. as opposed to just generalizing all the time, you know? Yeah, yeah, which we, 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 which I appreciate because, like you said, like you were saying earlier, it's like you know, it's always the it's always the loudest voices. Yeah, yeah. And I per, I mean, there's stuff like sometimes I want to weigh in on, and I don't just because I feel like I have a responsibility. I have a responsibility, you know, to to be measured. And then some other stuff I do, if people write me a letter, depending on how busy I am, if people write me a letter, they take the time to do a letter themselves, you know, not a form letter, but a letter letter. Yeah. I will, I will write back, like I'll take their letter and I'll like, like circle the, yeah, I agree with this. I agree with this. I don't agree with this. Why? And then mail it back to them just so they feel like they, they have a, you know, that somebody's heard them and they have a connection to their government. Cause I just think that's so important. Well, you got a secret superpower. Uh, not not even talking about the personal side and and your your lovely bride, but Chris Huff, she's a rock star. <laughs> you know, Chris Chris Huff said she's a Democrat. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I have. Uh, so on, yeah, so so on my so on my staff, I got staff of twelve. I have uh, three are registered Democrats, seven seven are women, five are Hispanic, one African American. That's great. You know, when, when I was running, cause I mean, I wasn't planning on running for Senate cause our Senator was Sharon runner, who was a good, you know, good friend of mine. She had health issues and her and George called me into her, her office way actually into his office and said, Hey, we don't think she's gonna be able to run. We want you to run. And I said, well, this should be a, a broader conversation with other people than just the three of us, because, you know, Santa Clarita is only 25% of that district. Yeah. And, and I thought, you know, more people should have a say and they go, well, you know, this is a private matter. We don't want to do that. And, you know, we want you to run anyway. And I'd said no. And I decided on the very last day, I was actually at the Nancy Reagan funeral when, when I was in the assembly, I had Simi Valley. So I had the Reagan library, which just afforded us some really great opportunities to meet, meet some incredible people. But so like, I'm like the only non-billionaire at the, at the Nancy Reagan <laughs> funeral. Um, anyway, so we decided, cause Steve Knight was there and he talked me into, so we, we decided to run to run for Senate. But, you know, when I went into her district office the first time in Lancaster, she had five people there, all white, uh, no Spanish speakers and three of them went to high school with her. Oh, wow. And so one of the things I did when I was meeting with people, is like, oh, like my, di- my staff is going to look like the district. Yeah, that's great. And, and so I've, you know, I, I, I've kept that pledge. Well, I know you got a scoot, but I just wanted to make sure that we talk about circle of hope. Could you tell us a little bit about circle of hope? Yeah. So, yeah. So circle of hope is a, is a nonprofit here in, in the Santa Cruz Valley. They first started just helping people with uh, with breast cancer. They have since expanded out and 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 do all forms of cancer. So uh, they offer grants to people to help them uh, when they're going through treatment. They have um, they're not doing it now because of COVID, but they have support groups and and educational classes uh, that they offer. Uh, Vanessa and I have always supported them because they, when they first started, they were pretty small, but they've continued to expand out. And what's happened to us, which, you know, eventually happens to everybody is, you know, cancers, you know, personally affected our, our family. Uh, I mentioned earlier, my wife, you know, was diagnosed two years ago this month with leukemia. Uh, a couple months before that, my son calls me up crying and he had, was diagnosed with cancer. And, and so he was a beneficiary of some, some grants when he was originally going through that. He's now, he's been uh, clean for the last uh, 14 months now. That's great. So, that, so that's been a blessing. So yeah. He's a great just, young man, by the way. My brother oh, wanted okay. me to mention uh, how impressed he is with, with your son. One of the reasons that he voted for you, I don't know if I was supposed to say that, but no, 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 actually, actually, you know, actually I've, I've heard, I've heard that a lot. So, which, which, which I, which I appreciate, I think, you know, both, so both my kids, I think both my kids are great kids and they're, they're technically millennials, but you know, they're, I mean, we've taught our kids cross your T's, dot your I's. And, and so, you know, they're, they're, they're both, you know, great young people. My daughter, unfortunately, uh, because of the high cost of living in California, her her husband and my only grandson has, has moved out of state, oh. uh, which which is heartbreaking. But yeah, so I no, I, pre- I appreciate that comment. It's, it has way more to do with his mother than me. 
So (laughs) no, 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 she, no, she's a phenomenal mom. So circle of hope, www.circleofhopeinc.org. That's www.circleofhopeinc.org. And uh, any last questions for me that you have for me? So, so what's your long-term, what's your long-term goal with this project? I want to create a space where folks can learn about individuals uh, on an individual basis and where the, the loudest voices that are th- just interested in throwing rocks at each other um, are, are not uh, taking all the oxygen out of the room so that good people of goodwill from various points of view can have uh, productive conversations. So if we can so do that. Want, so you want America to be America again. Amen. <laughs> yeah. 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 Where we can have, where we just have civil conversations, good people of goodwill to have civil conversations. That's, that's all we're trying to do. So. <laughs> well, God bless you. And I hope you're successful. I appreciate that. And no, I really, we know because we need, we need it. Yeah, we, we sure do. do. We need it. We sure do. I so appreciate you taking the time and uh, best wishes to your family. Glad to hear folks are doing okay for now. And uh, let's not wait to hopefully we'll get to do this in person. Yeah. And that, and and bring you back to your business group. uh, Once the, once we've got COVID under control. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Thanks again, Scott. All right. Take care. Thank you for joining us today. If you appreciate what you heard here, please go to iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. That really helps move us up the chart so others can find out what we're up to here. For Ronnie Nathan, I'm Corey Nathan, and we've been talking politics and religion without killing each other. We'll be back in a few days to do our little part in Tikkun Olam.